0: Cultures are going to shift all the time, right? Because as we hire new people, as, you know, as we go along, your culture is going to shift, but you have to make sure that what's most important about your culture, which is your values, that that stays in place. Like one of ours is flexibility and, you know, that sort of thing, like making sure that what's the most important thing for our people and how do we make sure that no matter what, that doesn't leave our culture.
1: Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Well, it is the week after Thanksgiving, and by now, the dark turkey meat that no one really wants to eat has turned to shoe leather in your refrigerator. But that means today is also the last day of November, which means we look at recent news items impacting people leadership. And joining me today is my longtime friend Holly Novak. Holly is the chief people officer for Jack Henry and Associates, which is an S and 500 financial technology company with over seven thousand employees. She's one of the smartest HR people I know, and she's also been a longtime Charm volunteer leader which is where we first met I think at HR Southwest probably 15 years ago. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Holly.
0: Thanks for having me, excited to be here. So
1: let's start with how not to fire a CEO. Sam Altman is the co-founder and was the CEO of OpenAI. That's the company that created ChatGPT and who some fear will release our robot overlords to destroy humanity. Officially, OpenAI's board said he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities. So the board fired him and then appointed the company's chief technology officer as the interim CEO. She lasted a weekend before yet another CEO was appointed. And then in meetings with OpenAI's 700-plus employees, The board was equally vague about the reasons for his ouster, which angered employees. A lot of the employees stated publicly that they suspected his resistance to slowing down the development of AI was the reason the board fired him. Well, the employees revolted. Almost all of them threatened to quit if he wasn't returned to the helm, which probably would have ruined the company. So long story short, Altman won the war. The board resigned, and he returned as CEO. So Holly, you're the CHRO of a big publicly traded company. Apart from confusing personal politics at OpenAI, how would you evaluate the OpenAI board's performance in this instance?
0: I mean, I would definitely say, don't do it that way.
1: (laughs) Don't do it that way.
0: (laughs) It's just, um, you know, one of the biggest things that we have to focus on with our people is trust. And um, this is a perfect example of how to pretty much diminish all the trust with your people and um, your leadership and just, you know, one decision, one weekend, that sort of thing. And so I think it's just, uh, it's a kind of a tragedy. Hopefully they can pop back from it. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, and you know, they're, they're valued in the billions and, you know, have some giant stakeholders. I think they'll manage, you know, they'll muddle through, especially now that the whole, the old board's gone and they've got a new board and the new board is, you know, very different. Um, but, you know, they've got a weird corporate structure. But I think the thing is, it's always difficult to fire an executive. And, you know, I've been involved in those conversations. But, you, you know, it's always that even with firing a line employee or a manager, how much do you tell your employees versus not? And you're worried about, and you're publicly traded, you know, or you're a company looking at becoming publicly traded or having some short share sale and what do you put out there? But, you know, when there's a narrative out there already among the employees, one of the challenges I think leaders have is how much, how do, how much do we need to tell, especially when it's another leader that we've, we've let go? How would, how would you balance that, that need to protect this person's privacy? But then when they're on Twitter telling the whole world, their side of the story,
0: yeah. I think transparency is huge, right? And, and transparency looks different in every single company. And so you have to determine like, what does it look like for my company? How do I, how do I like make this transition? What is that? You know, when it, one of the biggest relationships that is the most vital for any company is the relationship with the ceo and the board and so trying to kind of manage that so if the expectations aren't clear if the ceo has different expectations than the board or vice versa that you know that needs to be settled no matter what and and then you determine like once that's settled how transparent are we with our people regarding that and what that looks like but change management in general is crucial in this type of thing right and so you have to think through just the the workforce planning aspect of do we have a succession plan in place what does that look like and you know did we appoint somebody for interim ceo just out of nowhere or was that a plan all along and that's sort of obviously not cuz she only lasted the weekend probably right. so like just trying to think through what does the change management aspect look like? And then how do we put that into place and make it um, successful? But I mean, the employee impact and kind of the pull that they had in this story is pretty impressive as well. You know, they all signed a, a document saying, Hey, hire back my CEO, or I'm going to go work for another company. And so listening to your people is super important. And if they would have taken the time to do some better change management process in the first place and listen to your people before you make this decision, then they could have, um, number one, not gone through this whole, you know, rigmarole, but also a lot less disruption for them and their people and the board and everybody else. So.
1: And even if the board felt like he had to go, I think there's an amount of laying the groundwork, especially in a high profile position like this, uh, before you do it, and so yeah. maybe you have to be a little bit more public with your ongoing dissatisfaction with this executive. You've got to, you know, be more public and push back more, you know, around planning and and actual things that the company's doing. Maybe even have you know, town halls and things like that yeah. where you hash out some of the issues while that person is still on board. So you can say this is the direction we're going, you know, as a board. And so that at least feels like, like you said, transparency. There was some transparency there, Uh, but there was also a plan. I mean, these 700 employees are heavily invested in, you know, what was just a few years ago, a startup that has exploded in the last year. Uh, It's got major stakeholders like Microsoft, pouring a lot of money in it Um, and just uh, have it go you know have a, have somebody just gone overnight but we see that a lot in corporate america right suddenly the board makes a decision and it is the board's right to make that decision Absolutely. generally yeah. you know but i think sometimes board members forget oh and, and executives forget when they're dealing with you know uh their subordinates um that the message matters and how, and you know, how you communicate with stakeholders and what their opinions are is going to have an impact.
0: That's huge. And I mean, just in general, like when we're leading our people, there needs to be clear expectations set. So like, even in this situation, just like you would with any employees set the expectations, like what strategic priorities are we trying to accomplish? And if we're not, then, you know, maybe that can be communicated to your people, or even your, to your stockholders, but to just, you know, come out of nowhere and say, Oh, Hey, he wasn't being clear in his communication that you know that's a pretty big surprise so i think overall the biggest message here is set clear expectations communicate have a clear succession plan in place and then pay attention to the change management asset aspect when you're working through any big change like this and make sure that you're kind of listening to your people you know hearing what they're saying take action against that and moving forward that way
1: and i think the other big part with the open ai thing the other lesson is that leadership has to communicate the strategy to the employees and if there was a gap in and strategy alignment between the ceo and the board that's a pretty significant issue, right? Right, you and, know and the
0: employees don't know it, right? right. If, the, if yeah. the CEO and the board aren't clear. It sounds yeah.
1: like the employees were on board with where the, the CEO wanted to take the company and, and the rate at which he want, they wanted to roll out AI uh, and all of that. And, you know, they're in a race against Anthropic and and uh, Microsoft and other, other companies in mm-hmm. that area and Google. Mm-hmm. So uh, the employees seem to be really there. But if the board isn't in alignment with their own CEO around strategy. That's probably, and, you know, I do think they were pretty weak about it. I mean, they had a, a secret board meeting, didn't invite the chairman of the board and stuff like yeah. that. And I think <laughs> that kind of stuff shows up to the employees as being sneaky and mm-hmm. there may have been perfectly reasonable reasons for them to do that. Uh, but, if it smells fishy, you know, you're going to have a hard time selling it to employees and other shareholders. I mean, you know, other investors and things like that.
0: No matter what your trust is gone. Right. Right. And you know, like only, I think I read a stat the other day from Gartner that says that only 50% of people trust their companies. And when you do something like this, it just goes down to nothing basically. And then it takes a long time to build that trust back. And so even if they have a new board, are they going to be trustworthy? How long does it take to build that trust back? What does that look like? And so, a lot of employee listening and actions related to that, I think, is super important. Yeah.
1: And this is a really big company, but you know, I and and uh, talking to my HR consulting clients and just other uh, HR leaders, especially at entrepreneurial-driven companies where the, the the founder is still involved and runs the daily show, that idea that I can't. You know, that I, you know, I can't affect, you know, this is the strategy of the company and the guy who owns it is making all the decisions and I may disagree with his people policies or I may, you know, or whatever. And I I don't feel like I've, I've got a voice. I think when you've got those really large personalities in the organization, and in this case, he had a board he had to report to. And I think a lot of founders who take on boards and, and, and have those structures to protect their investors resist actually being managed you know and and lord help yeah. anybody who has to ever manage me i mean you know that's uh, there's a reason that i work for you know i've run my own company for 25 years um but i think that's the other issue is and you see that in, in a lot of smaller companies uh you see it on uh, some of the hr uh boards where somebody will post anonymously i'm in this you know privately owned company and uh the owner doesn't want to follow good hr pr- practices uh what do i do and and, you know, I could almost have a cut and paste response. You leave because if, if, you're, if you're not going to be happy in this role, you're not going to change that leader.
0: Right. And it's a two way street, right? I mean, the CEO has to be transparent with the employees and the board and the board vice versa and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's completely a two way street. You have to it goes both ways for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, moving on to a different kind of politics, Uh, we're in the early stages of the 2024 presidential primaries, uh, and that's already kind of getting interesting. And if 2020 and 2021 is any indicator, it's going to be a lot of drama, Uh, and that drama will inevitably bleed into the workplace. Uh, according to a CNBC poll, around half of the employees surveyed back in 2020 said that the election impacted their own productivity. And then more recently, beyond the presidential politics, we've, we've got uh, a poll by Resume Builder that indicated one in three American workers say employees who make pro-Hamas statements should be fired, and that's following the October 7th terrorist attack on Israel and uh, Israeli and international civilians. I'm definitely anti-cancel culture, uh, and and even if somebody disagrees with me, I don't want them to cost their job or things like that, but what's your approach to maintaining a sane workplace where people are so heavily invested in politics and, and their own you know, their own convictions about all these different issues. And, but they want to drag all that into the workplace.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the biggest um, things is just around being curious, right? Like, I am um, the famous and wise Ted Lasso says, be curious, not judgmental. And so, as you're thinking through, like, how do we coach our leaders to just stop and be curious a little longer and really make sure that we are. Um, Taking the time to get to know our people and build that connection with them, so that as things come up, as we like go into this charged season, we've been kind of in a charged season for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we go into even more of a charged season, like actually thinking through, like how are they reacting? What does that look like? So you can be proactive, and if you see something bubbling up, then you can kind of pay attention and talk to your people about that. And a lot of times, our leaders. Feel uncomfortable having those conversations. They just don't know how to do it right because we all avoid hard conversations just as a general practice. And so, just taking the time to talk with our leaders and say, "Hey, this this is um, an issue that you need to be aware of, and let's figure out like how do we get to the best um, the best resolution and the best action possible in the kindest way, right?" And so, focusing on how do we, you know we've been saying all through COVID and everything else like um, grace and flexibility. That's what, that's what we're focused on with our people and our leaders is offer grace and flexibility to your people. And I think we're going to have to continue that through this next year, but it is going to be interesting to see how, how the kind of the workplace and the environment. And I think as you think through remote and hybrid and office, it it's a totally different um, dynamic because honestly, people are a little more um, aggressive maybe or opinionated from a remote standpoint than they might be in person because they don't have to see that person's face all the time.
1: That's what we see in social media, right? I mean, that's why everybody, there's so many a-holes on social media who would never say those things, uh, most of them, to somebody in person.
0: Yeah. And so I think thinking through that and being a little bit more proactive, just like you said, like stopping and saying, hey, how do we you know, be curious. I love, um, you mentioned you had Michelle on, I don't remember uh, uh, Monica her name.
1: Guzman. Monica yeah.
0: Guzman. Yeah. She was yeah. awesome. And just thinking like, how do we stop and say, Hey, what am I missing? Like, what, why is this team having this conflict? Like, what am I missing that's happening that just like your kids, you know, there's gotta be some behavior behind this action that they're, um, that they're doing right now. And so just stopping and saying, Hey, be curious a little longer. What am I missing? And, um, kind of work through those conflicts, hopefully before they even arise.
1: Yeah. And, in uh, in my values presentation that I make it, uh, to SHRM groups is, you know, one of the things I talk about is you've got to have uh, some sort of value structure where that allows you to have frank conversations with and assume goodwill on um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's got to start with managers because they have to model that. And like you said, you got to train managers. And, and you know, this is uh, the horse that I, the dead horse that I beat all the time. But we, we make people managers and we don't train them to lead people. We make them managers because they're good at a certain job. And if we don't invest in training them and saying, here's what our policies say about harassment. Here's what our policies say about harassment in person. But we also have are concerned about harassment online, off-site, you know, off-duty. Um and making sure they understand that, and that they've got the skills to either facilitate a more, you know, a healthier conversation between two, two employees about, okay, I get that you're pro Trump and that you're pro Biden, but we're here to get a job done. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's a, a mistake that a lot of companies started making back, really heavily back in the Me Too movement. Everybody was, all the companies wanted to show that they weren't the kind of company that tolerated that bad behavior. And so they started running out for every time there's a big social cause, they wanted to be on the right side of history. And they start making really, and and me too, is probably the most related to, uh, you know, actual company behavior, but started running out and making for every time there was a social issue that cropped up, making public statements about it. Yeah. And it comes across as performative and you don't know, you know, there's no indication that they really mean what they say. But it, we've created this expectation from employees now that their employer is going to take a stance on every position. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a mistake.
0: I do, too. And I think one of the biggest things that we can do as companies is to say, hey, like, what are our values? What do we say our value proposition is and our, our actual values as a company? And then as things arise that are maybe Related to those values are different than those. Then we have some sort of criteria to say, hey, these. If this and this and this are true, then we will make a statement, and if not, then we won't. So, like, just having a, a proactive plan on how we communicate to our people, what does that look like? And then I think the values is important, just no matter what. So, like, make sure that you number one have values as a company, and then um, communicate those to your people. And at Jack Henry, we say do the r- do the right thing, do whatever it takes, and have fun, right? And so. When when something arises, we say, "What's the right thing to do in this situation?" And like just stopping and saying, "Hey, how do we get to the to the right answer?" Again, the kindest way possible, and then set those ground rules. I think that mutual respect is super important with with whether you're a peer or a leader or you know report up to a manager. All those things have to be in line, and um, just respecting each other enough to know, like, hey my coffee is going to have a different opinion about things that I'm going to have. And that's okay. And we can still work together. And the goal, like you said, is we still have to get the work done. And so at the end of the day, how do we get past this enough to be able to have a conversation and get our work done, and hopefully prevent any blowups or bubbling things that could happen.
1: And one of the articles, uh, we looked at getting ready for this mentioned, you know, there are Under the current National Labor Relations Board, at least their rulings, you know, that really constrict employers' limitations on employee speech beyond what we've traditionally seen, and so, you know it'd be smart for an employer to talk to a labor attorney who really is, up to, you know, especially an employer with a lot of exempt employees because or non-exempt employees. Cause you're going to end up with, uh, you know, potentially some, or a lot of non-management employees because you're going to, you know, likely you know, possibly end up with some uh, NLRA challenges. If people, you know, whether yeah. they're, they're warranted or not, it doesn't mean people aren't going to file them or that this NLRB isn't going to take, take it up. But at the same time, we're here to execute a mission, whether it's make a profit or if you're a nonprofit to, to execute a mission to serve a community of some sort. That's what we got to be focused on. And and sometimes we may have to say, look, if if this person's bumper sticker on your car, on their car bothers you so much that you can't get your job done, maybe you need to get off the bus. Maybe this is, you know, regardless of who's right or wrong or the ultimate morality of whatever the issue is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you can't, if it's so obstructing to you that you can't be productive,
0: or if they have something in their virtual background or whatever, right? right. That, yeah. 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 You know, you they're know. you know,
1: they're wearing their their pro Biden T-shirt or their MAGA hat or whatever. Um, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, especially in a large company, you're going to have somebody like that who is just always going to push the boundaries and make sure that you know where they stand on issues and and maybe if they, you know, if that's disruptive, you have the conversation with them and say, hey, this is becoming too disruptive, you know, you know, dial it back a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, there are people who just say, I can't work with this person because they are whatever, you know, they have this other opinion. And, um, you know, when after the uh, Hamas attack on Israel, uh, I got lit up by a few uh, folks who, uh... We're very pro on one side of that that thing because of a comment that I posted that basically called for us to be rational and reasonable. Here, are the other side, you know, if we're going to have this conversation in the workplace, let's be, you know, let's talk about it in a respectful way. And even that got, you know, I got I got a little, fr- uh, you know, shot at by mm. uh, some folks who felt so passionate about the issue. And we're convinced that if I just listened to their side of the story a little bit more, you know, it would be different. And um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know that we can always win win that stuff, especially when social media is out there feeding it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it'd be great if, if, our, if our employees just wouldn't be friends with each other on social media, you know, because <laughs> you know, we get, you know, there's too much of that, you know. Drags into their personal lives into the office. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and sometimes it you know happens when you're on a chat in a virtual meeting and somebody sends a gift or um, mm-hmm. a meme or something like that. But I think the biggest thing is helping leaders to understand or like providing them with resources so that they can have those hard conversations. And if they if they're new, if they have been promoted to a leader before, they're ready to have those hard conversations. Then at least giving them some sort of support, whether that's an HR business partner or or employee relations person or something so that they have support to lean to, to say, Hey, I don't know how to handle this situation. Somebody help me. And then making sure that you have that as a company in some way, because you're going to have leaders that don't know how to handle this. Right. And so you've got to find a way to support them and to coach them and to be in the room maybe, and coach them back to, um, to that mutual respect place, you know?
1: And the, best time to have those policies in place that say, here's how we're going to conduct ourselves is yesterday. right? And if we don't have it yesterday, <laughs> the best time to do it is now. right? Because what you really want to do it is before we have the conflict. And, and uh, I think too often, people leaders cat- are caught flat-footed when something blows up that they probably should have anticipated, but well, you know, I, you know, my, my, you know, and we all think our, our employees are great. It's, it's all those other people that we see out there. And then it comes into our workplace and we're, and we're not ready for it. So having the policies in place, having that management training in place to say, here's what our policies are. And Sherm had a really good article on this and it had three points that, uh, you know, prevent, which is really the, having the policies in place and doing the management coaching, prepare, So understanding the protected speech issues around NLRA, but having, you know, clear policies about harassment, civility and off-duty conduct uh, that flows into the workplace and make sure your managers know that. And then respond, enforce your policies and don't play favor. I think that was a big part about it. Don't play favorites. don't pick a side uh, of the issue and say, well, we stand with Israel or we, you know, or we stand with uh, Hamas or we stand with, you know, we're pro-Biden or we're pro- uh, unless that's really relevant to the business that right. you're in. And if it is, if you do have those specific, you know, that's part of your mission, especially if you're a nonprofit or something like that, then maybe just say that and, and make sure everybody's on, on board and we can't have, we're not going to entertain these, uh, these other opinions which what an awful place that'd be to work, but, you know, but, in you know, try to enforce everything on both sides you know bad conduct bad conduct and right. harassment harassment and being a jerk yeah. is being a jerk.
0: and we're and we're all people right we're all gonna make mistakes we're all gonna say things that we shouldn't say every once in a while and that sort of thing and i think that that's just a matter of hey what was the intent behind this and like you know i didn't re- even realize that i still had a Biden coffee cup behind me or whatever it is right and so just saying hey just like I said, the famous Ted Lasso, be curious, not judgmental. And so like stop and say, hey, what am I missing? What's going on? And, and walking through those steps before we just jump to it. But you have to teach your people how to do that too, because they can have that interaction in a meeting that you're not in as a leader. And so helping everybody to realize, hey, let's just, you know, calm down, have mutual respect and um, figure out again, the kindest way to, to deal with those issues as we...
1: Has and you mentioned long. Monica Guzman's episode, uh, back in really September good. on, yeah. uh, and her book is, uh, what's it called? I never thought of it that way. How to have fearless, curious conversations in dangerously divided times. And, uh, definitely it was one of my favorite uh, episodes that we've done. Um, and this will be my second, I'm sure. Uh, sure. but, uh, you know, but it, 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 it's, she, she makes some really good points about, about how to do, how to be respectful, And when you set people down, if it's not, you know, they're not doing drive-by shootings in the hallway or or snarking over email, if you set people down and, you know, they're going to be a lot more responsive when they're facing one another. And and suddenly we're not, like you said earlier, we're, you know, we're not jerks because there's proximity. And Mm -hmm. I I think you're right that remote work is going to make it more and more difficult um, because we're not we don't have a lot of organizations. It's not necessarily they're losing the quality of their culture, but they're they're having a different culture. I've definitely seen, you know, we went remote in 2020. Um, so if, if you're doing a drinking game uh, against the podcast, you can take a drink because I say that almost every podcast somehow, but it has changed our culture. I think it's positive, but the fact that my employees don't see each other every day makes it a different kind of culture. Um, you know, our values are still intact and all of that, but there's not the level of camaraderie and friend, uh, you know, and we're really good at hiring the right, the kind of people that that
0: work. Which is super important. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's critical. And it's, you know, um, you know, our, we've got one of our, you know, you named Jack Henry's and one of ours is always act as one with respect and compassion. And, um, and we hire against that. And, and, you know, and we constantly are driving that one home even more now, probably because we're remote uh, because it's so important that we, um, that we not let that distance and that just that, you know, seeing somebody on the screen, you know, a few times a week, uh, give, give, give somebody the license to, to discount the, the need for empathy and and to be respect. a
0: human to be a good yeah. human but i do think you're right like cultures are going to shift all the time right because as we hire new people as you know as we go along your culture is going to shift but you have to make sure that what's most important about your culture which is your values that that stays in place like one of ours is flexibility and you know that sort of thing like making sure that what's the most important thing for our people and how do we make sure that no matter what that doesn't leave our culture but when we're so remote we're still very remote, like 80%. And so I think that a lot of people have never met each other in person. And if you don't turn on your camera, then you don't build that connection. And so one of our biggest things right now is focusing on building connection and whatever that looks like. So as a team, even if you're in a location that your team is not like at least come into the office and seeing some other people's faces every once in a while, because that helps you kind of build that connection. And so that's our biggest focus for this next year is how do we build connection, intentional connection, right? How do we like build that? Because once you have that connection, then things like this with the the politics and the disrespect, it doesn't happen as much. But if if you've never met a person in person and they have a different opinion than you, then you're a little bit more likely, I think, sometimes to say, oh, hey, you know, that person doesn't matter as much. So I can kind of be be rude um, when you shouldn't be. So. Yeah.
1: So uh, let's uh, peel that onion. What are y'all doing? What are you thinking about? Or what, what have you done so far at Jack Henry to, to build that connection with that 80% of your workforce? It's remote.
0: So we have about forty locations all around the U.S., and we're um, kind of focusing on nine hubs. That doesn't mean our other offices will go away, but focusing on our nine hubs so that we can have more events there, bring people together. Our CEO is about to go do a CEO roadshow in each of those nine hubs, and so really like finding ways when we have all hands, bring people together, and have a watch party and if you give them food, generally they will come. And so like just finding different ways to say, hey, teams come together at least once a year and, you know, figure out ways that you can actually build that connection. So that's our goal right now. We have a whole project called Workforce Evolution because nobody knows what the future of work is going to look like, right? And so like in five years, that's that's something I'm super curious about. Like what is work going to look like in five years? And if we're not right now being proactive and setting the ground rules and like, what jobs will we have in five years that we don't have today that we haven't ever even heard of, right, because AI is of course gonna add a lot to that. So like, how do we plan right now to be prepared for what work looks like in five years so that we're not caught off guard and are scrambling, you know, in three to five years to figure out what that looks like. And I think a lot of that is gonna be about finding the right people, building that connection, keeping our culture, all those things as we move forward. But yeah, that's what we're doing.
1: Yeah. And on the Sam Altman thing, you talked about trust. And I think that's, this ties in there too, that, that how do we, when we don't see our managers in person and and we don't have all the, you know, the, the neuro-linguistic feedback that we get in person with somebody, how, how do we build that trust? I think, and I think there's companies that are, figuring it out. And I think that you're seeing the ones who can't figure it out or haven't figured it out yet be some of the companies in my experience that are pushing employees to move, come back to the office full time. And, um, and I think there needs to be flexibility both ways if you want to keep the talent. Uh, Um, and you know, maybe if we enter a recession, uh, employers can be more dogmatic about that. But I think that short term, And when, you know, as soon as those positions get, you know, difficult to hire and there's more demand for them again, if the economy heats back up, you're going to lose those people that you've invested in. So I think now's the time to be doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think listening is so important. So we, we have a continuous listening strategy. So everybody gets an engagement survey on their anniversary date. So we have a continuous stream of data all the time. And that helps us to do a really good job. One of the questions is, do you trust Jack Henry? And so as we see that trend, so we can look at it monthly or quarterly over the past few years, if we see that trend going down, we can like kind of dig in. Why is it going down? Like what's happening to make that, you know, our engagement scores? going down we we ask a belonging question right do you feel like you belong and so all those things as we start to see maybe this business unit's going down what's going on like you know and so we can kind of dig into it but if you only do if you only listen to your people once a year you're really not going to get the the data that you need to like continuously say hey what are we doing how can we prevent something that might be bubbling up in the future and so listening is key in my opinion like we have to listen but not just listen you have to listen and then do actions right, right towards it. If you listen and don't do anything, then it's worse. Honestly, so
1: totally agree. And let's take a quick break. Good morning, HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 124 and enter the keyword NOVAK. That's N-O-V-A-K. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Holly Novak. One last topic. Uh, if, uh, if you'll indulge me, I want to talk about four day work weeks. Uh, there was a hiring lab survey of indeed job postings that said that job ads, uh, promoting four day work weeks have tripled in the last year from 0.1% to 0.3%. So I think this is maybe a case of lies, damn lies and statistics because that's really still a tiny number of all the job postings. It is, yeah. But it's a bigger conversation. It is a conversation that we're hearing more and more about employees are pushing for four-day work weeks, but it um, doesn't work in every environment. How would, how would, what would you recommend or advise an employer considering going to a four-day work week? Uh, what, what should they be considering?
0: I think it, it definitely depends on the company and the job, like even inside a company, it depends on the role. I've heard a lot of schools are going to four day um, school days or school weeks as well, which we've had a lot of our employees say, Hey, my kid's going to a four day school week. Can I do a four day work week? Because otherwise they have to find childcare for that last day. You know, so trying to think through like, instead of just saying no, right? Um, I always say, just like I've said, be curious, not judgmental, be curious a little longer. And so ju- trying to determine like, what situations does a four day work week work? And what situations does it not work? And you know, some, there's no way that some roles can do a four day work week and be successful. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to determine, like, just like um, we talked about earlier, is it, is it, for 10 hour days? Is it for eight hour days? And what is that? Do you pay them 40 hours or not? And so just trying to determine like, what does that look like? And how do you, how do you make sure that, um, especially like if you try to do a four day work week for somebody that's non-exempt and they work extra on that last day, do you pay, you know, like you have to pay them overtime, do we budget for that? So there's so many different complications, I think, but in a lot of situations, a four day work week, works fine. Right. And so like, I know our recruiting team does a four day work week during the summer and because they, you know, they want to, and they can, right. Cause mm-hmm. they're recruiters and it works fine. Um, some of our engineering teams are doing four day work weeks and that works fine too. And so just trying to determine like, what roles does it work with? What roles does it not, but you have to be fair. So you can't say, Oh, Hey, you can do it, but you can't. But that also comes back to our leadership topic of, some people can work 10 hours and do great and some can't work 10 hours and do great. And so trying to determine like, what does that look like for each? And so if you, if you can't be fair with your whole team, then you have to determine why and like, what does that, I mean, what does the structure look like? What are the guidelines? And, you know, figure out a way that you can be fair as much as possible.
1: And, you know, I think the, the challenge for a lot of large organizations is the closer you are to the customer, the more you probably need to be there five days a week, because that's still what most of your customers are working. And, and so there's, there may be a perceived inequity that, you know, Hey, I'm in operations and we have to deal with customers on a regular basis, you know, five days a week. And, Uh, you know, it's not fair that, you know, accounting gets to, you know, to take every Friday off or, you know, or they only have to work four days a week and whatever. Um, and I think that's, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, you know, you know, suck it up buttercup, you know, sometimes it's just life, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, but, um, you know, I question whether people can, you know, it depends on the job, but you know, how productive can people really be in a 10 hour day? Um, you know, I, we've done, uh, we've, we've tested it in the past. Uh, and you know, we measure quality, uh, you know, it's our number one thing that every employee every day gets a, you know, gets an email with their quality numbers from the previous day. And that's, oh, they know nice. exactly yeah. all the time how they're doing, you know, there's, and so we, I mean, we were able to get rid of performance reviews completely because everybody knows all the time and they're constantly hearing from their managers and, uh, their leaders. So, but when we've tested, uh, where quality mistakes happen, they always happen later in the day and we've got good systems to catch them. But, you know, I know if we went, you know, to nine, 10 hours a day that, you know, we would be risking, you know, uh, you know, higher, higher error rate, which is, you know, minute, you know, it's almost like the 0.1% and 0.3%. It's still a tiny number, Yeah. but you can only throw so many arrows at somebody and expect them to catch them all, uh, before something gets through and affects the client. So I'd be really, you know, for any job that took a high level of mental detail, I'd be really concerned.
0: I think it depends. So you have to think through, like, if I had maybe an engineer that they work for six hours, and then they take a little break, and then they come back later and work for four more hours, they could be more productive, right? And so it depends. Like, do you need them there a certain time during the day? Or do you not? Like, some people might work better, like from 10pm to 2am in the morning and... You know, and so if they're not talking, just like you said, the closer you are to the customer, right? So if they're not talking to customers and they're just doing something like coding or data entry or something like that, then totally different situation than if you're like in a contact center, or a call center, or if you're, you know, like an HR person where you actually have to talk to right. people during the day. So I think it really depends. But I think you can probably have some people that are productive if they can pick their own hours, like out of the 24 hours, what are your 10 hours that you want to work? Um, and some people might be more productive that way, right? I don't know.
1: Yeah, especially with remote employees, I guess you could break the day up. Yeah. And, and certainly we see that with with our employees and just working their eight-hour shifts. If somebody's got a kid thing in the middle of the day and they don't want to burn their PTO, you know, fine, you know, as long as all the customer facing positions, there's somebody there to talk to a a client when they call, you know, we can be, we can have that flexibility.
0: The biggest thing is measuring productivity, right? right? Like, so the biggest thing is you can't just ignore and then, you know, you look back a month later and say, hey, wait a second, that person hasn't turned in any work for the past month. And you're like, oh. And so, you know, that comes back to the leader, right? Is making sure that they're paying attention, that they know their people, that they have a good relationship with them. And they know, hey, if something's off, then maybe, maybe this isn't working for you. Maybe you can't do a, four-day week anymore. Well, and so, and having
1: good metrics is really important. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, because numbers, if you're measuring the right things, numbers don't lie. And, uh, and so uh, that way the employees know where they stand and manage. But what happens so often is when you don't have consistent everyday numbers or really consistent measurements, What happens is the the manager waits till he's annoyed with the employee about something. Oh, yeah. And then he comes back to the employee and says, you know, you're not getting the job done. And look at how long this has been going on. And it's all this other stuff that isn't the real reason that we're having the conversation. But this is going to be the pretext because it's, you know it's, it's the most defensible. And I think that's a mistake.
0: Right. So the four day work week wasn't the reason they weren't getting their job done. The leader just maybe didn't recognize the other reasons, you know?
1: Right. And, uh, and just, or, you know, too often managers are, they'll put up with a lot when they like you. And as soon as they're, as soon as they're annoyed with you for something, suddenly it's a whole different deal. And so it's just, it's, it's, it goes back to just management one hundred and one, and having mm-hmm. you know having good managers, people you train to actually lead people and incentivize and and coach people rather than manage people. So, but the other thing you hear with the four day work week is, well, why do you care if they work ten hour days? As long as the job's getting done in the in the week, especially if they're exempt, uh, why do you care? And my argument is, well if somebody can work 32 hours a week and I'm paying them a full-time salary, they need more work to do. I don't think productivity (laughs) belongs to the employee and productivity belongs to the employer. I mean, that's what I'm paying you to do to give me this much effort.
0: Well, and also the managing of that belongs to the employer, right? So like if, if you have an employee that's not doing a full-time job or, doing two jobs that you don't even know about or something like that, then that's you, that's up to you as their leader to figure out or determine. And um, I think that that's back to managers need to manage, right? Like there's a lot of things that as a leader, and then if you have leaders that don't have the ability to do that, then they probably shouldn't be a leader and right. like making those hard decisions and choices around, Hey, like how, how do we support our leaders well and get them to where they can be good leaders and discover all of these things and have the productivity. And if that doesn't work, then that's okay. You shouldn't be a leader and you could do something else. It's fine.
1: You know? Yeah. There are some people just not wired to hold other people accountable and we need to recognize that you can be an amazing accountant and, but just, you know, not have the ability, you know, to comfortably hold somebody accountable. And we just got to say, okay, well, Let's find other things you can do to create value for the organization, so that you increase your compensation and you continue to grow. Uh, but maybe just you know, we always associate leading people with advancement in the organization, and I think that's a that's a mistake that employees make because they want the title, but it's also a mistake leadership makes sometimes. Um, and maybe we don't need as you know as many middle managers. Maybe we need. More people who, uh, you know, have a Swiss Army knife of skills in the organization and can do a lot yeah. of different
0: things. Well, and still have a path for advancement, right. right, and growth, but it maybe doesn't become a leader, right? There's there should be two paths, and all of them lead to leadership.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you for joining me today, Holly. I really thank appreciate you. it. It's fun. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at GoodMorningHR.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey, as always. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. and Until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.